rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Hi everybody, I'm Charlie Neumeyer and welcome to the very first issue, and I say issue because I don't know what I'm talking about, the very first episode of Superman in the Bronze Age, a weekly podcast that will be covering every Superman adventure from the end of Mark Weisinger's reign as editor in 1970 to the end of Julius Schwartz's reign as editor in 1986. And uh, before I get into any of the comic books that I will be covering this month, I would first like to send a shout out to the podcast people who have been supporting me since, well, last week, before I even had a promo, uh, before I even started recording this episode, before I even had a site set up for this stuff. Um, first, I'd like to say thank you to Billy Hogan from the Superman Fan Podcast, who actually mentioned me in his most in his latest episode. I'd like to say, uh, thank the guys over at Two True Freaks, Scott Garner and Chris Honeywell. They've also offered to play my promo for this show uh, to help get the word out there that I've started this. Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor over at From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Uh, they helped me uh, with the information I needed and also gave me some support. All these people that I just mentioned also posted links on Facebook uh, for my podcast. Again, all I have to go on is a promo. So the fact that they're supporting me already and actually mentioning their excitement for it. Uh, it really warms my heart. Uh, it made, it's made me a little nervous for, to record this episode because, for one thing, this is my very first podcast, and um, I've never done anything like this before. And second, I've got a lot of expectations to live up to, and the podcaster mob uh, that John Wilson mentioned will, that could be sent out if this sucks has me a little scared. Next, I would also like to introduce myself a little bit um, in case most of you probably don't know me. I've written a few letters to some of the podcasts I just mentioned. But first of all, I have been a Superman fan since I was about three or four uh, when I first got introduced to him as a member of the Super Friends. I'm sure a lot of people my age probably that was their first introduction to the man. And I remember watching all those shows. For some reason, the episode of Superpowers with the penguin stuck out, but I think it's because he stole Superman's powers. I also recall fondly the Ruby Spears Superman cartoon of 1987 that um, finally has been released on DVD, and I loved it. I've watched it twice now. And then, of course, uh, the first comic book I ever read of Superman was Superman in the 30s to the 80s. And I think I first read that about the time I was 10, so that would be 1990. It was about that time that we all, um, this, this library I borrowed the book from also had actual comic books in it at the time. Uh, when I This is when I lived in Laurel, Maryland, and uh, the public library actually had comic books. So in addition to Superman in the 30s to the 80s, um, I also read a few issues of the then-current Superman books. Um, I can't remember issue numbers off the top of my head. I apologize, but I can tell you that they were the issues that came out uh, in between Superman's return from exile and the start of the Krypton Man story arc where the Eradicator was unknowingly slowly slowly turning Clark or Kal-El uh, into a true Kryptonian. Um, so those 
So those stories actually hold a special place in my heart because I actually remember reading those back when they were current stories. Uh, so I guess that was actually 89, not 90, but it could have been 90. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, moving on, the first time I actually finally collect, started collecting was after the death of Superman, thanks to Walmart and Sam's Club, believe it or not. Uh, Walmart actually had these packs of comics. Uh, they actually had a whole collection of all of the Superman books that took place for the, during the funeral for a friend storyline, which was, of course, my first, so that made my first actual purchased issue of Superman to be the first actual issue of Superman when he was not alive. So that was bad timing on my part. But I had all of that. I also, they also released a packet when they had the big return of Superman storyline startup, which uh, basically consisted of all the titles uh, that introduced the four new Supermen. And then Sam's Club, a uh, short while after that, started releasing big packets that not just covered one character, but basically covered all the comics uh, at a particular price point that they that were released in any given month. Uh, the first one of the first sets I got uh, took place during the Night's End storyline, and also Superman's um, fight for Metropolis, uh, the battle for Metropolis with the clones being diseased and Lex Luthor getting ready to destroy the whole city. Uh, so actually, I was able to get enough of these packets to cover from basically that point all the way through the end of Zero Hour before they stopped selling those packets. So I do have the whole Zero Hour miniseries and most of the tie-ins. And uh, from there, I just went nuts. Um, I found I finally found a comic store um, instead of just shopping at Walden Books for a while. But um, I finally found a comic book store. So I was able to keep up with my Superman books plus in these dollar bins. I found a good portion of my 70s collection of Superman stories, or all of which are, are the ones that I'll be using when I do these reviews because I haven't actually um, gone back and purchased new copies. They're in boarding bags now, but for about 10 years they weren't, so they're not in the best condition. I probably won't be trying to sell them anytime soon. Basically what I want to do now is I'm going to go into the books. Mort Weissinger started his retirement in about October 1970. He still edited the Superman book, but other, the other books, uh, Action and everything else, uh, went to other editors. Murray Boltinoff uh, took over Action Comics. Mike Stokowski was actually still editor on Adventure Comics. And uh, Julius Schwartz took over World's Finest. Eve Nelson Bridwell took over Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. Uh, Murray Boltinoff also got Jimmy Olsen, which uh, was about to have... Jack Kirby take over as um, writer and artist. Okay, so our first episode issue, sorry, is Action Comics number 393. The cover depicting a child holding back Superman to prevent him from saving his dad is drawn by Kurt Swan with inks by Murphy Anderson. The story itself is entitled Superman Meets Super Houdini. The writer's Leo Dorfman, Kurt Swan, and the inker is Murphy Anderson. Um, at Metropolis, him and some fellow reporters are on hand to watch Hairbreath Houlihan perform his death dive act. By this point, uh, Houlihan has jumped out of a plane, and when it looks like he's too close to the ground to make his escape, Clark feigns fear and runs off to change to Superman. Meanwhile on the ground, Houlihan's son is being interviewed for TV, mentions that his father still has 10 seconds to spare, and clicks on his top stopwatch. Up above, as Superman is just about to catch Houlihan, the lock on his chain suddenly pops open, and he's able to open his parachute. The crowd is in awe, and Superman pretends to be stumped 
but reveals in a thought bubble that by Dan clicking his stopwatch, it actually sent a supersonic signal, which uh, Superman heard using his super hearing, uh, causing to unlock and Houlihan to free himself. Uh, after Dan gets over to his father and tells everyone that this is just a little bit of what they can see if they go to the show at the theater tonight, um, Superman also invites Houlihan to do some stunts with him at a museum fundraiser the next week. Uh, the following day at an underworld lair, uh, two cons go and check out Houlihan's poster. And comparing him to some wanted posters, they find out that he's actually Mace Larkin, another con. Uh, apparently, 15 years ago, he escaped prison, got married, and changed his name. His wife died a few years ago, but he had a son, which would be Dan. Uh, that night, the cons confront Houlihan at the theater and blackmail him into helping him with a scheme that they have concocted. So, a few days later, at the fundraiser that Superman invited Houlihan to, uh, Superman uses his heat vision to weld Houlihan into a suit of armor. Uh, just a little later, he is suddenly emerges from behind a curtain, much to the amazement of Superman, even. After Superman inspects the armor and sees that it is still intact, Houlihan and Dan leave suddenly to prepare new stunts. Suddenly, an alarm goes off in the museum, and it is discovered that the Star of Asia has been stolen with the lock and glass staying intact. Superman figures that only Houlihan could do that, and that with a quick blast of heat vision melts the tires of Houlihan's car. After revealing that Houlihan is really Larkin, Superman flies him to prison, where he's locked up in maximum security in a cell across from a man named Stony Croy, the con's boss. Uh, we learned that the jewel theft was actually a ruse to get Larkin into the prison so that he could help Croy escape. Uh, when he pull, he pull, uh, pulling out a fake molar, uh, Houlihan uses a chemical in, inside of the molar to actually freeze the cell lock and keep the door open. Repeating the same trick on Croy's cell door, they uh, then use old drain pipes and conduits to escape from the prison before heading to the old state pen. Seems the cons have actually secretly bought it and turned it into an underworld resort. Once inside, Larkin recognizes the cons as being wanted by the FBI. This sets off Croy because Larkin wouldn't know about that since he's been out of the rackets for about 15 years. Croy fires a shotgun blast at Larkin's chest, which actually shows that uh, reveals that it is Superman in disguise. And while explaining that Larkin told Superman about the visit from the cons and that they switched identities so that Croy would show him the new hideout, he swiftly knocks out of the cons out with one super punch. Uh, for his assistance in helping Superman round up the hoodlums, the governor grants Larkin a full pardon, and we end with Superman flying off, wishing he had a son like Dan. Okay, now the art in this issue I thought was really good. Um, I am a fan of Kurt Swan's work, and I do like when Murphy Anderson inks his work. Um, granted, this is actually early inking. Um, I, sometimes Murphy Anderson has a tendency to actually come off a little... Well, he covers up the pencils a little more than what I like, because I am a huge fan of Kurt Swan. But th in this issue, he didn't do that at all. This is very much Kurt Swan with uh, embellishing by Murphy Anderson would probably be the better term. It looks really crisp. Uh, considering how it was printed in the 70s, but the art looks good, and it really helps the story because I was not a huge fan of the story. It's not bad, but some things kind of stuck with me. Um, we have pa on page one, I like how it starts. The story is almost already started by the time this story starts. Houlihan has already jumped out of the plane and is falling. I like how we see Swanderson, as they're called, artwork, but this is still before um, 
The Daily Planet is bought out by GBS. So Superman's still a news or Superman Clark Kent is still a newspaper reporter. Um, I like the microphone used by the TV reporter with Dan. It really looks like a disco ball on top of a stick. I'm sure that's probably how they actually looked back then, but it's kind of cool. And um, I also like how apparently um, on page three, it looks like everyone in the city of Metropolis that showed up for this place put on their best clothes. They look like everyone's wearing a sports coat, a collared shirt, some nice pants, and some brown shoes. It's kind of uh, nice. Moving right along, on page number four, I do like how, this just goes to Superman's character, how in his thought bubble he does expose how the trick worked to the audience reading the comic, but pretends to be stumped. Uh, just to make Dan happy. And I think that's really cool. It says a lot about the character. It shows that, you know, Superman's not going to be out there just sitting there saying, well, yeah, but all he did was just you click the button and the lock opened. I mean, he's just, Superman's cool like that. Page six, I do like the effect that they ended up having to use for Superman's heat vision on the suit of armor. You don't see the heat beams coming from his eyes. It does kind of throw up, not <laughs> throw up, listen to me. It does kind of show off the way things go a little bit later on. Uh, because once Byrne takes over and reboots the books, uh, both he and Jerry Ordway always drew the heat vision without the eye beams, because you really, unless the heat was really intense, you wouldn't see the heat because you don't see heat. These aren't laser beams; it's just heat coming out of his eyes. Granted, in this case, it was because uh, Larkin was Superman, and if they showed the heat beams, then the audience would know what was going on without any mystery to the story. What does seem kind of out of character, but we get a reason why. Uh, page 8 is Superman's a little bit of a, a jerk to Houlihan, or Larkin, however you want to put it. We see the heat vision trick, although, again, it's obviously because Larkin is driving the car, and we're not supposed to see that the heat vision's coming from him. I don't know how it is in prisons, but on page 10, when Larkin frees himself, quote-unquote Larkin because it's really Superman, I think it's kind of weird that this Croy guy not only trusts him enough to get him out of there, but enough to actually take him to their secret lair. But, I mean, it work, I guess it works for the story, especially since it's only a 14-page story. But I just don't see any criminal of any era, whether it's the 70s or today or the 40s, trusting anyone he just he or she just met enough to take them to the secret hideout once they've escaped. But I, it is a kind of cool idea. You wouldn't think of any cons buying a prison to hide out. You would think there might be something that gets checked out if you kind of have the kind of money to buy one of those. But yeah, just the fact that they bought it, it is kind of an interesting idea. Um, unfortunately, um, on page 12, uh, one of the bad guys is, um, <laughs> I swear, it looks like Perry White. He's chomping on a cigar. He's got a receding hairline. And uh, he has the gray hair pattern that Perry has of the top of it's still light brown, but the sides are white, although he does have some pretty good sideburns going on. So obviously it isn't him. It just seems kind of weird. It's like, um, and that's my dog's. That's fantastic. Um, but these guys just hang out and play pool all day. And uh, Croy picks up on something that Larkin says and realizes he may be up to something and uh, just goes in and shoots him. Fortunately, it's Superman, otherwise it doesn't make things worse. But I like how, and maybe some people won't see this as too dynamic, but I kind of like it. With a word balloon in the middle on page 13, 
in one panel we actually see Superman go in a circle and take out all the bad guys. All of them. Um, he picks one up. You see him pick one guy up, throw him into another guy, slap another guy, uh, other couple of guys in the face, uh, and then start throwing people together, knocking them out together. And uh, by the time you get to the next panel, they're all out. I I, I like the artwork on that. Um, it kind of it's kind of like a flash image because you see like uh, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different images of Superman. Uh, but I like how it flows. It's a short fight scene, but we're on page 13. I have a 14-page story, so we didn't. Re so Swan didn't really have the room to sit there and try to make um, a huge fight scene like you'd have today, which would actually take up the whole flipping issue. Uh, I do like how the, he uh, Hulahan gets a reward for helping out Superman and for being honest. It's one of those things. That you're going to see it. You probably would see a lot in the Silver Age and now. I think it's really cool how he gets a pardon. Um, I don't know how a governor can give a, an executive pardon that would cover more than just stuff he's done, I guess, in the state, but maybe he has only been a criminal in that one state. I'm not sure. And then, of course, uh, the, page 14, we get everyone walking out, doing the law and order walk out of the room shoulder to shoulder, and how they reveal how... Superman and Houlihan had switched spots, so that was pretty cool. Of course, you have Superman being kind of sappy at the end, wishing he have a son. He had a son like Dan. What he wouldn't give to have a son like Dan is just kind of uh, mushy. But overall, this was it wasn't a terrible story. It's a good Silver Age Superman story, I think. Of course, this is still the early part of the 70s, so they were still transitioning. And again, this is just the first story in Action Comics that isn't a Weisinger-edited story. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just the way it felt. Now, the second story of the issue, I'm not a fan of at all. It's called The Day Superboy Became Superman. This is a idea that is actually covered in the Superman books of this era over and over and over again. Um, apparently, one of the big things that they like to do is try to figure out what what it was that caused Superboy to re start referring to himself as Superman. Well, I do have one interesting thing to say about this issue is that Superboy is never referred to as Superman in the book. Uh, well, in this story, anyway. And in a story where you're supposed to tell how he becomes Superman, you would think that they could have referred to him as Superman at least once. But, no. At the end, when he's supposed to be Superman... They still don't refer to him as Superman. I don't know. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But anyway, we get this backup story. It's called The Day Superboy Became Superman. It is written by Jeff Brown, and the art is by Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito. Uh, one day a few years ago, back when Clark was at Metropolis University, a group of students discovered that the Raiders, which is a gang from the slums, have broken in and are using the new college swimming pool. Clark just happens to be nearby and sees this, so he ducks behind a nearby hedge and changes to Superboy. He then uses Super Breath to freeze the Raiders into a block of ice in the water, causes them to have hypothermia, and they die. Uh, no, not really. He's able to freeze them into a block of ice, picks up the water, a la Superman 3, takes them off campus, and I, I suppose he thaws them out. You don't really see that, though. Uh, you see the ice has already kind of melted. It's on the ground, so I guess you could say he did do that. Uh, in fact, it says I'll melt you free as soon as you're off campus. These guys were swimming in the pool with their clothes on. That's weird. I mean, their entire, all their clothes, I don't know. Uh, that's one of the things that 
kind of nitpicky, but they missed some of these important things when they were doing the story. Um, continuing on, the next day, uh, well, actually not the next day yet, um, when he gets back to the pool, Marla Harvey, one of, who is one of Clark's fellow students, actually chastises Superboy for ruining those poor kids' fun. Uh, the next day, the raiders steal some food from the cafeteria and take it back to the slums where others join in the quote-unquote banquet. Uh, Superboy swoops in, though, and retrieves the food. Later on, uh, Clark sees Maria uh, leaving the school with luggage. It turns out she's leaving because the school arrested the readers for that act, which technically, which is a crime, but she is upset about it because all she, all they were trying to do was feed the hungry. Uh, so, you know, I can understand that, but still, a crime's a crime, I guess. Um, a few weeks later, the readers quote unquote borrow several books from the university library and take them to their new teacher, who just happens to be Marla Harvey. Uh, she tells them that they shouldn't have, but then tells them to run when she sees Superboy arrive on the scene. She reveals that she is starting a school for the slum kids in a condemned building that a demolition company is letting her use temporarily while she gets things set up. She, as she explains to Superboy what life is like in the slums, uh, she also mentions that instead of helping other planets, he should become a Superman and help these people which makes me think of the Denny O'Neill story in Green Lantern and Green Arrow, because obviously not only is Superboy not helping enough, but Green Lantern doesn't help enough either. Superboy takes the books and returns them off to the school and then heads off in a, to a vital mission in space. When he gets back to talk to Marla the next day, he sees that the demolition company is actually starting to tear down the school, which again makes no sense to me because if she has an agreement to work there temporarily, you would think she would know when they're planning to take it down, but apparently next day, got to cut down the school. And it turns out that once he uses his x-ray vision, we see that Marla is still inside. He's unable to save her in time, but before she dies, she makes Superboy promise that he will help the people in the slum. Uh, he starts to build a new school for the kids, but then he realizes what Marla actually meant, which actually means that he's going to do more to actually help the slum than just make this one school building. So he tells the watching crowd, and this is the part that really gets to me on this story, he stands there and saying, he has no thoughts here, he talks out loud, uh, they're applauding my super feet, but is that all Marla wanted? Didn't she tell me I've got to stop acting like a super boy and start thinking like a superman? And then everyone's like, what's the idea? Why'd you stop the construction? And then Superboy says, I could have finished the school in seconds. And in a few moments more, I could have rebuilt the entire slum area. But then you'd be relying on me to do the work you should be doing. Go to your mayor or your councilman. Fight for decent housing, for new schools, and an education that will raise your kids out of poverty. And then, of course, we have, one person says it. It makes me think of a Family Guy episode or something. But he says, he's right. You don't get all that on the silver platter. So then uh, Superman flies off, or Superboy, sorry, uh, flies off and says, remember, as American citizens, you've got a mighty superpower of your own, the vote. And then they say that they read him loud and clear. I don't like that scene much because, one, he sits there and tells him what he could have done. And about maybe even ten years earlier, uh, he actually they might have actually done a story where he did that rebuilt the slums, rebuilt the schools. I know that there are several origin stories that they've done back in the Silver Age that actually starts off with him tearing down the slums so that he could rebuild it. So I have a little problem with that area. Granted, the only one of the big problems I didn't like with this whole issue is you don't see any of the other characters. I mean, granted, you do see, you know, all these new characters, but Clark only shows up for one panel, uh, and you get, and other than hearing about the Daily Planet, you don't see anything about Jimmy or Lois or Perry or anyone else. 
This issue actually came out in, on August 27th with a cover price of 15 cents, which is pretty pitiful considering nowadays it's like four bucks. And you got two stories. And other issues that came out this month that um, were Superman related, uh, Jimmy Olsen's pal number 133, that starts Jack Kirby era on Jimmy Olsen. Uh, Supergirl um, was in Adventure Comics, basically the solo character in that book at the time. And this was right about the time where uh, Supergirl just changed her costume from the one that she had all throughout the, set, uh, the 60s to a very disco-ish look. Apparently at this time they had had a lot of fans design costumes. So she was having a new costume like every issue, sometimes more than one in an issue. An issue of Superboy that actually involves the death of Clark Kent, which is a story that has been repeated over and over and over again. And uh, there's an issue of Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane where Lois has married a man who's about to be electrocuted. Uh, so that should be an interesting story. I'll have to check that out sometime. And uh, World's Finest uh, reprint issue uh, telling a lot of different stories. You have Superman versus Batman and three Titanic tales. And plus there's a Green Arrow story uh, drawn by Jack Kirby in that book. So it sounds like something I want to check out. But it's mostly reprints, so I didn't cover it this, uh, this time. Next month, we have Action Comics 394. We have World's Finest 198, which is another one of those Superman Flash races. So um, thank you for listening. I'm sorry if, if I was a little stuttery. And again, this is my first time, and I'm still getting my confidence up for this. Again, I want to thank everyone for their support and for downloading and listening to this podcast. And you all have a good day. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer. You can write to the show at umbc81 at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show two ways, via the RSS feed at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com or via iTunes. Also, if you like this show, make sure you check out the blogs and podcasts listed in the recommended sites section, and be sure to check out my reviews of other classic Superman comics at www.supermanhomepage.com. Superman and all related characters are copyright DC Comics. Also, any images or music used for this blog or podcast is purely for entertainment only. I do not make any money from this show. Thank you again for listening, and God bless.